Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome in the booth, everybody, on a Monday. Greatest time of the year, March Madness. Headed off to Dayton this afternoon. And... The range of emotions of a weekend ended uh, on an uplift, certainly with all the news surrounding uh, last night. And the Orange with their surprising, by uh, many accounts, selection into the field of 68. A trip to Dayton, which isn't a surprise at all. If uh, you thought the Orange were going to be in the tournament, they couldn't have been in by much. So uh, Dayton is the logical landing place. And away we go with a late Wednesday night matchup against Arizona State vying for an 11 seed in the Midwest region to take on TCU, the six seed on Friday night, also very late. That would be a 940 start if it comes to that on Friday, and we'll be there with you every step of the way. Uh, certainly the lift that I think people needed uh, related to this basketball team that for the last two and three weeks, every single result and every breath tilted uh, the tournament candidacy in or out, the resume improving, uh, losing uh, certainly at Boston College brought a lot of question. Winning at home against Clemson helped things. Winning in New York against Wake Forest helped. Getting blasted by North Carolina didn't make you feel very good, and uh, that's the way it goes. It was uh, a year for Syracuse where it's out-of-town performance, it's strength of schedule. With all those teams that we talked about early in the season that were among the favorites in their respective conferences, the Texas Southerns, the Buffaloes of the world that Syracuse played, that came back to help them. And we'll hear Coach Beheim's comments on that. So that was the lift that I think a lot of us needed ending the weekend. The start of the weekend and the start of our show today, unfortunately, needs to be on our friend Chris Gedney. And that was the beginning of the weekend that none of us needed or wanted. And uh, certainly, first and foremost, our thoughts go out to Chris's family, his uh, wife, Celie, his first wife, Kathy, and their children, uh, Anna Lee, who's at the university, and Chase, who's on the Army lacrosse team, Montana and Eliana, and uh, very, very tough news for all of us who knew and loved Geds, and those of you that knew him only as a radio personality, a former Syracuse football player, you know a... Big, athletic, good-looking, fun-loving, strong guy, prime of his life. And uh, we knew him, obviously, a a deeper level than that, all of that, and then some. And uh, as our radio broadcast partner and and, uh, in the booth every Saturday for uh, the last uh, 11 football seasons, and uh, we will miss uh, the big fella. He was, um, you know, full of life, full of love, loved football, loved the Syracuse community. Uh, mixed in with just the the folks from Liverpool and Baldwinsville and at the diner and uh, at Swallows and at wherever it might be around town that did not hold any 
uh, air of pretentiousness as a guy that played uh, seven years in the NFL, that was an All-American in college, uh, that had everything uh, going for him, um, worked at the university and, and loved it, you know, and, and uh, was asked a lot this weekend about my memories of Chris, and there's a lot of them, and, and thanks to Stephen Bailey and of uh, Syracuse.com and Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, both kind of called and wrote up some comments of, of those of us that that knew Chris and spent a lot of time with him and I think really presented all of that in a uh, a very positive light as uh, should be the case with uh, Chris uh, gone too soon at the age of 47 and I think he's the kind of guy that if you're driving around today and in the community and you've lived here for any period of time you probably had some interaction with him and you you know, maybe it was at the the buddy walk for Down syndrome in the fall. Maybe it was just at a Liverpool high school event or following his kids around. They went through the West Hill uh, school district and, uh, for the most part. Um, maybe it was in his capacity as a fundraiser for Syracuse University, built a lot of great relationships with those people. He was so proud when they got the turf field down inside Manly Fieldhouse, worked hard to raise money to make that happen and to provide something that would help the next and future generations of uh, Syracuse football was something that uh, lit him up and uh, was very important. You know, on game day, he was a guy, and if you've ever traveled uh, with the team, maybe if you were part of a, a donor trip or won a contest, or if you're one of the many car dealers around the area that have gotten a relationship with the university and you've you've made a trip on the official team traveling party you couldn't miss Chris and his infectious uh, sort of game day enthusiasm just firing up all the all the normal people on the on the team bus and and uh, getting everybody ready for game day and getting them organized and uh, we will absolutely uh, miss that as well as his unique commentary and one-liners in the booth and and uh, I think you know Paulie will remember those when the the year comes around, and I, I think we'll have the instinct of when he might uh, say some of his uh, some of his things. I remember last year, one of the stupid things he said was <laughs> about, uh, well, if you're driving down 690, close your eyes and imagine, you know, he had a lot of uh, malaprops uh, like that. But but uh, loved being where he was, loved his family, loved Syracuse football, and uh to me, blended in as well as uh, you could imagine for somebody with, with his background into this community. He was very much uh, of this area. I feel terribly for all of the former players that he was close to, not just his teammates either because uh, the guys 10 and 20 and, and in some cases much older, um, he would interact with them at football club events, obviously. The younger guys he looked after. He always looked after the tight ends. There was a, a catch made by a tight end in a game. He got on his feet and always kind of counted up at the end of the game the stats uh, for the tight ends, the position he played, or if uh, there was a prominent 84 on either team. Uh, you know, Chris made note of that. So we will uh, we'll miss him. Heavy hearts uh, for those interested in his Memorial service uh, information, I don't think it's been released uh, publicly yet. I'm not sure they're um, necessarily ready f- for that uh, to be locked in stone, but expect that you'll see that uh, obviously on Syracuse.com and, and Cuse.com, I would imagine, will distribute it when, when the time comes, but it's uh, looking like 
uh, Wednesday afternoon uh, calling hours and a, a Thursday memorial service uh, here in Syracuse for Chris Gedney. So rest in peace, 84, and uh, a guy we'll miss and, and a, a guy that I know would be fired up for this basketball team, men and women, at this uh, time of year and uh, and putting his support behind them. So uh, our thoughts at this time are obviously with those who knew Chris best and his family, great people, they're hurting. And uh, if you you see any of them, do the, do your best to pat them on the back, try to lift people up as uh, a lot of ha- a lot of people have uh, for me personally uh, this weekend and, and tried to get back to everybody, but it's impossible to uh, – to necessarily respond to, to every single person. So we appreciate uh, everybody's thoughts, and uh, we're thinking about nothing but the best for the Gedney family. We'll be back uh, as we continue here in the booth, get into some basketball, as the big fella would be uh, happy for us to do. We'll take your calls if you'd like and uh, talk about the Orange and Arizona State in the field of 68. That's coming up as we continue. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. And the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Not exactly sure what we'll have for shows the rest of the week. No show tomorrow is Polly, and that means the equipment uh, travel to uh, Dayton. Uh, Wednesday, hit or miss, depending on uh, access to a st- said equipment and uh, the venue at uh, UD Arena. And uh, we'll go from there. Game time at 9-10 on Wednesday night. Mike Waters coming up later in the show for his usual Thursday spot. We've bumped it up to about 2.40 today to uh, go over the bracket and the path ahead for the Orange on the selection process. You can call us uh, if you'd like to join in by phone, 437-764-44-ESPN-44. I heard uh, Stephen R. Syracuse on with uh, Seth and Steve a while ago, and I thought, perfect call if that's the show. Still, Steve, if you just want to repeat what you said with your Arizona State scouting report, we can just make that the show and I'll go home if that's all right. Well, uh, before I got into that, I just had a couple of thoughts on Chris. Please. Uh, we, uh, we've been very, very privileged to have him both as a player and as a representative for Syracuse in the NFL and as uh, your, your partner in the booth this last decade or so. Uh, uh, he, uh, he got us through some lean years. Uh, I mean, he started off in the middle of the G-Rob era, and uh, there's been some definite ups and some definite downs since then. One of his habits that always amused me was that uh, when a, a play would develop that was obviously not going to go Syracuse's way, he would either sigh or grunt. <laughs> and, and his sigh or his grunt would be worth a thousand words, even though it was on on the radio. And I'm thinking in, in future years, we're, we hope to have a lot better, good, a lot more good plays and a lot fewer sigh and grunt type of plays. And I'm going to really wish that Chris was there to describe them. Uh, it must have been a strange feeling for you because it cast such a pall over the the weekend to then be amid this raucous celebration because we we made the, the tournament. Uh, that uh, that helped clear away a little bit of the gloom, but it, it had to be kind of difficult for you to. Uh, to enjoy as much as the players did because uh, Chris wasn't going to be there. No, you're right about that, Stephen. I, I appreciate your uh, your pointing that out. It's not about me, but I, I, I like to fade into the, the woodwork and point out and share for the rest of you. I have the access, so I'm happy to, to share what I can with those observations. And I'll tell you what, 
a couple things that are interesting and I think you'd find interesting, Steve. Yesterday was the first year that Coach Beheim watched the selection with the team. In my recollection, the first time since 07 when we all watched at his house and it was a brutally disappointing snub in 07 and a trip to the NIT. I can still remember um, a lot of the players were playing video games and at that time Coach Beheim's kids were young and they're running around the house and and you know only kind of half paying attention and Demetrius Nichols popped out and he said there's one more bracket right there's one more and we said no that that's it you're, you're not in the tournament and he was so disappointed and then I don't think it's been at his house ever since it's been you know in recent years at the Mellow Center typically coach Beheim watches in his office and the team watches downstairs but last night he walked in right at the start of the show sat there with the team and I was sitting right next to him just in that shot that everybody's seen of the celebration. I'm just outside the camera shot. So to see that eruption, uh, so natural, so spontaneous, uh, you feel happy for the guys, particularly people like Tyus Battle and, and Frank Howard, because who knows, you know, if they hadn't made it this year, if they would have another chance and, and that type of thing. So um, pretty awesome. And Julie Beheim, who's, you know, just one of the best people in the world, almost immediately whispers in my ear, you know, Chris had something to do with this. And uh, it's very cool to think that, you know. So uh, great tie, and I appreciate your comments, Steve. Well, I, I, I will always think of Chris as finally making it into the end zone, if you know what I <laughs> That's mean. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, well, anyway, you, you mentioned my earlier call. I'll just briefly summarize. Uh, I, I feel really happy for Tyus Battle because, firstly, he's taken the brunt of the defensive attention all year, but also – if we had not been in, you were, the first thought would go to the end of the Notre Dame game. And I'm very, very glad that, uh, that that's not something that we have to think about. As a matter of fact, in all sports, if you make the playoffs, what happened before that doesn't matter anymore. Everybody's zero and zero. So it's all kind of a battle to make the bad things irrelevant. And that, that's what happened there. As far as Arizona State and Syracuse, they're, they're typical uh, bubble teams, they have various strengths and weaknesses. With these two teams, they seem to be opposites. We're tall, they're short, they're quick, we might be slower. Uh, they can shoot from outside, we can't. We drive to the basket and, and score inside. Uh, they they uh, only faced a 2-3 zone once and didn't do well against it. Uh, so the, uh, it's, it's one team's strength versus the other team's weaknesses, and it's a question of which team can exploit their strengths and the other team's weaknesses better than the other. Yep, love it. Great call. Uh, right on the money in terms of the breakdown. We can get into more detail uh, between now and the game, but uh, you've hit the, the, the broad strokes. I think one of the great things about this time of the year is it's the redemption. It's the second season. Uh, everybody's in. Everybody's on equal footing outside of the obvious uh, seeding, uh, and that's the point of of the tournament, you earn your way to the better seeds. Syracuse didn't earn any better than this play-in game in Dayton. Um, in my opinion, topic for another time, these games in Dayton should only be the Syracuse-Arizona States of the world playing for 11 seeds. L- let the teams, the Lipscums or whatever that won their league fair and square, let them be in the tournament. <laughs> you know, uh, Texas Southern – they, they're dominant in their league. Let them go right in as a 16th seed and, and, and get the real thing. Let Syracuse, Notre Dame, St. Mary's, whatever, settle it out here for the, 
the last uh, quote-unquote at-large spots. It would also make for better games. Everybody says Dayton, by the way, is great, and, and I'm looking forward to that environment. Syracuse did play in Dayton in 2001, beat Hawaii, lost to Kansas uh, on that uh, trip there years ago for the uh, the first and second round. So, uh, Steve, thanks for the call. Um, good stuff. Do we still have Tom on the line? Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, thanks for taking the call, Matt. You bet. First condolences to you and your good buddy, Chris. Yeah, thank family. you. I, have an inter- I had one, one specific interaction. I've had a numerous upgraded ball games with this kid over West Hill, but I had one personal interaction with him regarding tickets when he was doing some orange bag stuff. He's a class guy. He's a quality guy. And just speaking to his high school career, I watched a little bit of that. Liverpool, he was sort of shunned and ignored. But whenever he had to step up, he was the man. He caught the ball in crucial situations. They didn't show much those years. But whenever you needed a big play, he was on the spot. There's a saying that goes around, they got your back. That's a military thing. It was for Chris. Very true. You would have your back. In terms of basketball, Matt, I was just curious. Uh, have you heard any more about Frank Howard? You know, I, you tell me. What What is there to hear? He, he uh, saw him out. He was sick yesterday. He couldn't yeah. attend the uh, joyous occasion. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the end. That's the extent of what I know. He wasn't there. I don't. I didn't take it to be any uh, serious thing. Um, you know, and if he's sick, maybe. He didn't want to be, or they didn't want him around uh, the rest of the guys. You know, if there's any sort of issue here as we we travel, then we'll we'll be able to share that. But uh, I appreciate the question, and, and more so the, the comments on Chris. The the number of people that I got that either texted or, of course, I guess if they texted, they would know me and him a little bit more personally. But the ones on Twitter, oh, I just ran in, I got went and picked up my tickets from him, or he stopped by in our section, or this or that. Uh, there's a million of those, and. Um, you know that's the kind of guy uh, Chris was, and he was a giver. He was, uh, in terms of his job, you know, his, his part of his job was to um, make sure people enjoyed themselves and had a, a positive interaction with the athletics department. Uh, and that's whether you were donating money or not. You know, his job was to raise money, but uh, you know that could be right. So not just every courtside seat holder who who had good um, interactions with him, but. Uh, just Joe fan and the guy having the dome foam and, and whatever that you may have interacted with him on the quad before a game or, or, or those types of things. So appreciate the call, Tom. Uh, don't believe there's any significant concern with uh, Frank Howard, but uh, if that's different, we will uh, we'll get to that as we roll along. We uh, do have some reaction from Coach Beheim from last night. Some of these things you've uh, probably heard. The first part about it, is the locker room celebration, and as we said, complete eruption. I know Coach Beheim did not like the way the early part of the selection show was going and some of the early uh, tea leaves. Uh, I'll tell you why I was in the minority on uh, one small aspect of this in a moment, but uh, here's his reaction to the reaction. I think the uh, locker room was the most excited I've ever seen our players in all the years we've been in there. Um, you know, most years you think you're in or you are in, and, but this one, uh, when you're on the edge like this, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, everybody everybody jumped. It was a, a great feeling. Well, it, to me, 
you see those things. They put the cameras in various rooms. And, of course, I stopped watching the selection show once uh, Syracuse was picked. I thought the selection show was poor, the, the start of it. They uh, missed time. They were trying to get reactions from automatic qualifiers and that type of thing. When they show you the, the room of a team that already knows it's in, it's pretty lame, except for the, the fans of that school. This was a big deal. You look at the reaction, the, the three reactions that I watched most closely, obviously Syracuse happened to be in the room. You watch Arizona State react, another team that you know was in the top five early in the season. They were ranked number three after a 12-0 start. They weren't sure they were going to make it. And then Danny Hurley, Bobby Hurley's brother, Danny Hurley's the coach at Rhode Island. They lost yesterday but knew that they were in. When he reacted early to see Arizona State in as one of the first at-larges, of course, alphabetically you knew about Arizona State early, um, that that was pretty cool. Those were all uh, genuine reactions. In the room, and I don't like to – I like to give you guys access without um, sort of betraying the access that I have and the trust um, with the various people that I work with, so I tend not to share – too much from the inner sanctum or things that are team only, uh, that type of deal. But in that room, the team room at Mellow Center yesterday, when Notre Dame was not selected, there was a, a bit of a, a roar in, in the room. And not so much from the players, but uh, for some of the people around. And I guess I'm in the minority because I've heard a lot of other people say, and Seth said it on their show earlier, that when Notre Dame wasn't selected, they started feeling good for Syracuse. My first thought was, well, if Notre Dame's not in, Syracuse isn't in. That, that I really have kind of thought all along that uh, Notre Dame would get in before Syracuse because of the head-to-head win, because of the extenuating circumstances on a lot of Notre Dame's losses. Syracuse had better numbers in some areas. They had the absence of the bad losses. Uh, with certainly Notre Dame most notably losing to Ball State with their good players. Uh, So there's an argument to be made either way. Obviously, in the bubble, you've got strengths and weaknesses. You've got arguments for and against. I know people are hurting for various teams, USC, Middle Tennessee, St. Mary's, et cetera. Everybody's really had a chance. You know, if you're you're in the bubble and you're out, and Syracuse certainly has bubbled out in in some years, including last year, um, most of the time you have only yourself – to blame. Uh, there are, you know, some years where it hurts more than others, and uh, some years where maybe uh, fate shines upon you, and uh, that's the case here for Syracuse this year that they had a, a favorable interpretation of their track record profile with the uh, strength of schedule in and out of conference in the top twenty. RPI was holding steady in the low to mid forties, and even though a spot went out from the bubble yesterday with Davidson uh, beating Rhode Island. Uh, Syracuse still able to squeak in, and and the reason being really was the strength of their wins uh, at Louisville, at Miami, home against Buffalo, really turned out to be the best wins for this year. Being a Syracuse uh, follower or fan over the past uh, three NCAA tournaments that they they've been on the bubble for, it makes no sense, does it? Like you, know, <laughs> well, I you think what lot, happens you, is we talk about all these numbers. But at the end of the day, it's ten people sitting around. And they're either pushing a button for you or against you, and they, there's no firm criteria over how you need to select your people. If I think some people have, to me, one of the line of, lines of demarcation is some people bleed a little bit more for the mid majors than others, and maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, it always comes back to the thing. What would St. Mary's record be in the ACC? 
what would Middle Tennessee be in the ACC? And it it's hard to say. Um, you know, would they win eight or ten games in in this conference? I don't know. Syracuse lost thirteen games. That's a lot, but six of the thirteen were against teams that were one or two seats. When you talk about playing Kansas and North Carolina and Duke and Virginia uh, over the course of the season, so um, it's really hard to get an apples to apples comparison uh, for the various teams, the way they line up. That's why they create the uh, the various numbers that they deal with as we go along. So let's go back to the phones and pick up uh, Brendan in Manlius. Hello, Brendan. Hey, man. How you doing? Okay, man. How are you? Good. First and foremost, condolences on uh, on the loss of your good buddy. I know that's that's got to definitely sting for sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, on to the uh, basketball team. I called you, I don't know, six weeks ago, and I was pleading with the Syracuse fan base to give this team a chance, you know, to not jump off the bridge, to see what happens when the ink dries on the season. I know the season's not over yet, but the regular season, and just give them a chance to do what they can do. And I think that for those fans like myself, and I think you were on board, that patience has definitely has been rewarded with an NCAA tournament berth. Now, I sit back and I look at this season and reflect on it, and I don't know if I'm crazy, and I don't know if you agree or disagree. I happen to think this is one of Jim Beheim's best coaching jobs ever. I mean, if you look at what his team had going into this season, you lose what could have been your starting center in Torian Thompson. You lose uh, Geno Thorpe five, six games into the season. You lose Matthew Moyer at times for injury. You lose your backup point guard, who probably would have redshirted in Howard Washington. And to come up with a 20-win season and an NCAA tournament berth with the, with the guys he had was just, I think, a remarkable accomplishment. And they should be extremely proud of what they've done this year. I would totally co-sign that, Brendan. And it's funny because he doesn't care to rank. He hates that expression, oh, this was a great coaching job or the last one was a great coaching job in 2016, et cetera. Because his expectation is to make the tournament every year no matter how you know it goes or whatever bad breaks they get and all of those things you're talking about. Absolutely. I think when you think about the the start of your call there, talking about how this team was viewed six weeks ago or how – their reaction is viewed. You know, one thing I've got no time for is people who, oh, I'm embarrassed that my team is in or something. I heard uh, an Oklahoma caller on satellite radio this morning say he was embarrassed that his team was in the tournament. You don't have to apologize for that, you know, because there's been plenty of times, you know, for if you're a bubble rider and over the course of the – 40 and 50 years that people have been following the Syracuse basketball program. There's been years when they've bubbled out and uh, this year they happen to bubble in, you know, and it, it tends to, to even out by definition, the teams on the bubble, they're not sure bets one way or the other. And that means they're, they have strengths, they have weaknesses. Your track record tends to show what you're capable of. I think when people decide to look at it, the, the, the whole notion that, who's the best team you beat in your RPI? Well, that shows, you know, how far could you go if everything lined up rightly, right? Who are you at your best? When you look at the worst, what, what's your worst? Can you, are you capable of laying an egg? They're trying to put together a field of 68 that makes a competitive, compelling, representative tournament. It's not easy, and I think you can make the argument uh, dance a bunch of different ways. But as far as this Syracuse team, I, I think you also get new life. You know, we'll talk about this with Mike Waters here in a few minutes. I love the matchup. <laughs> you know, it's a Syracuse team that's – have they won a bunch of games here lately? No, but they're playing okay. You know, I would not get too worried about the North Carolina game. They're playing representative basketball. They are coming off their most lopsided loss of the year. But Arizona State's lost five of its last six. Arizona State had an awesome start to the year and has not been able to 
continue that. They struggled in their conference. They were the ninth seed in their own conference tournament. Their guards are great. They're very productive. They're both 6-1. I I think there's a lot to like about the matchup, which is hard to, you know, far from claiming it to be a slam dunk. But now you're talking about not just getting in the tournament, but having a chance to – you know, advance along and then and then take on a, a TCU team that's coached by Jamie Dixon, who you know has a great record of success against uh, Syracuse when he was with Pittsburgh. So I think there's a lot to like. It uh, feels like a, a rebirth here, Brendan. You know, at the end of the year, and and I hope everybody gets uh, some enjoyment out of the, this tournament because regardless of the outcome from here on out, it uh, it beats the alternative. Yeah, no, couldn't agree with you more. I admittedly don't know a whole lot about Arizona State, but based on what you said, I'll take your word for it. And, you know, we're in. We're, we got just as good a chance as anybody else. And uh, I'll take a Jim Beheim coach team and the uncertainty of another team going against our 2-3 zone 10 times out of 10. And, again, I, uh, you know, they, they deserve a pat on the back for how they, they didn't give up as a team. They played their rear ends off, and I, I think that should definitely be commended. Yep, good stuff. Appreciate it, Brennan. Thanks for the call. It's funny when you think about the, the matchup, when people say, hey, Bayheim's a great tournament coach or the, the zone gives people fits, you know what it really gives fits is on the short turnarounds. It's the the second day of a weekend. That's the second round game or the Elite Eight game. That's when you know Oklahoma in uh, 2003, completely clueless, completely. Uh, Indiana at the uh, in D.C. a couple years ago in, in 2013, just not – prepared. Uh, interesting to see Tom Crean last night go back and one of the, uh, I don't know if I should call him an excuse maker, but one of the things he pointed out is that uh, Jordan Halls, the guard for Indiana, he said had had uh, a cortisone shot half an hour before tip-off in that game and he couldn't uh, raise his arm above his head uh, even to shoot. But he wasn't their best player to begin with, I don't think, and they they uh, came up small in a lot of other ways. In that game, Syracuse was extraordinary with big guards right from the start. And I think these big guards, Frank Howard 6'5", Tyus Battle 6'6", have a chance to give uh, Arizona State some difficulty. And then uh, we'll see against the TCU team that's had injuries over the course of its season. And uh, if Jamie Dixon can, again, flummox and solve the the Syracuse zone, you tip your cap and you let him move on. And uh, if you play better, then you've got the right to move on, presumably against Michigan State in Detroit, which will uh, certainly make things interesting. So we thank everybody for the calls. We're a little overdue here for a timeout. We'll do that. We'll get to uh, Seth with Do We Care here in just a moment. Mike Waters from Syracuse.com to uh, look at the matchup, the path, and all of that as we continue here in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Clicking on all cylinders. Time for Do We Care here, Seth. Uh, why don't we start off with some college basketball stuff, NCAA tournament bracket uh, out. Not everybody happy. Kermit Davis at Middle Tennessee State and St. Mary's coach Randy Bennett both left out of the tournament. They told ESPN the new system makes it more difficult for mid-majors to make it the tournament. That may be true. I'd have to do a little more math on that. I'd take their word for it. I don't know that it makes it necessarily harder on the mid-majors. It's hard on the mid-majors to begin with, and in part, it's cause and effect for why they're mid-majors. Their, their schedules are the hardest thing in their way. Um, I, I do think people, you know, like Mike DeCourcy of uh, Sporting News was going off on this this week that, you know, St. Mary's can't schedule. Who's going to want to go to Moraga, California? We'll find another way. F- t- go on the road. Go go play at Pac-12 schools and, and 
schedule up and, and prove you're better or win your conference tournament. You know, the uh, Middle Tennessee we know is good. They've really been a, a top program for the last uh, three and four years. Uh, Syracuse ran into them after they beat Michigan State in uh, 2016. Kermit Davis is a good coach, uh, probably should be in the SEC. Uh, he's got a little history that's kind of kept him from moving on. But uh, they lost their last two games, but lost the last game of the regular season, or, uh, and then they lost in the conference tournament, and those teams cannot afford to do it. I think Middle Tennessee is probably the one that I would um, sort of take up their cause for a little more. Their numbers are pretty good in terms of their strength of schedule, the the way they won the games typically in lopsided fashion. They are capable of beating uh, major conference teams, and they've shown that. But uh, the system's always going to leave somebody out. That's the end of the story. They need to get back into those TV made for TV games too with these mid majors early in the season. You know, like yeah, you can do a bracket buster. And, yeah, or you know, a whack versus the you know yeah. American East, you know, type of deal that the kids like. <laughs> two way two way phenom Shohei Otani reportedly not going to be able to be the two way player that everybody hopes he is, and maybe uh, and maybe not at least uh, an effective one. Uh, that according to eight scouts who talked to Yahoo Sports this week, the problem for the 23-year-old lies in faulty mechanics and lack of exposure to good major league curveballs, not breaking pitches necessarily, but curveballs specifically. Uh, the weapon of choice in Japan, a split-finger fastball, which is basically a change-up with a little sharper movement. It's funny because I think when you think of Japanese pitchers, you think of you Darvish, who's one of the few guys who's been able to elevate up and out of there and come be an effective pitcher in the majors, and he's got 100 different pitches. Um, you know, if curveballs are not a thing, to me, where were all these scouts ahead of time? Now, maybe they're all team, people who advised their team to not sign them, and, and they weren't in the bidding war, but I think every other, I think every team in baseball at least made an effort on this guy, and uh, that's something that they should have probably sussed out before. He also was injured, and uh, that was... Uh, a big part of it. You know why he probably can't be a two-way player in uh, in MLB effectively? It's hard. There's very few other people that are capable of doing it on the entire planet. So, you know, there's no guarantee this guy was ever gonna going to be the one, but uh, let, let's see how it, it plays out. But f- from what these uh, stories are saying, that his velocity is down and yeah. and he's having a hard time hitting the breaking stuff. That, that injury is definitely showing its face on the pitching side too because they're saying he's seven miles an hour slower than he was when he was pitching in Japan. So Angels might have gotten hosed. There hasn't been a two-way player regularly since Babe Ruth. Yeah, I mean, there's a few guys here and there that have dabbled or if they've been fill-ins or there's the Rick Ankeel, you know, there's a couple of those types of guys. But, uh, and then the, you know, the, the kid from Louisville uh, that was drafted by the Rays, you know, maybe he's the next guy that gives it a go, but it's really hard. All right, we'll break on that. Be back with uh, Mike Waters as we continue just a few minutes with Mike as we wrap the show next. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth, just about five minutes with Mike Waters, so we will do the best we can to take advantage of that. Brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance and uh, H2O. Looking forward to uh, seeing you in Dayton. And I think you, you look at the range from what it could have been you know, a nondescript home game tomorrow night in the NIT to Dayton and then maybe Detroit and in reasonable matchups. I think uh, Syracuse had as good a bounce as anybody could have hoped for yesterday. You know what? I, I was telling people for the last week or so when the the whole question of 
you know, are they going to be in the NIT? Are they going to be in the NCAA? And would, would you rather be in the NIT uh, or versus going to the NCAA and losing your first game? Would you rather be in the NIT versus going to day? And I kept telling everybody, no, you want to be in the big tournament. You want to be in the NCAA. You just do. And so, yeah, they got to go play in, in the first four. But, you know, I don't think it's a terrible situation. I think it's about where they should probably expect it to be. Uh, they're probably the ultimate first four team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and if Arizona State probably is too. Uh, when, when you look at some teams with, you know, some some merits to their uh, resume, but also a few warts on there. So I think it's a good opportunity for Syracuse. And they're in the tournament, and that's all you ask for at this time of year. Absolutely. And when you look at the matchup, Arizona State's in a different sort of boat. Now, here's a team. It's funny because on Twitter, people want to point out the lack of the success that Syracuse hasn't had or the cases where it's fallen a little bit short of, uh, of lofty expectations. Arizona State's been in the tournament three times since Syracuse won the championship in 03. <laughs> you know, the, wow. they've only been in it once since the James Harden game where Syracuse won in Miami. They're just happy to be there. And this is a team that was number three in the country early in the season. And it's remarkable to think that they were up there ranked that high. Uh, of course, you know, they got there on merit. They were there. You know, they, they won it at Kansas. You know, nobody goes into the fog and wins, especially non-conference. Uh, so, you know, they, they were able to go in there. They had some other big wins early on. Uh, but obviously they slumped of, of late. They, they lost five of their last six. Uh, even worse than that, four of those five losses are to non-tournament teams. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't bode real well, but, you know, I, I've seen a lot of other teams go uh, limping in, into the NCAA tournament and something happens and they turn it around, they find their old mojo and they find a way to win a game or two. So, uh, Syracuse has to be very careful and, and, and not treat, uh, Arizona state, you know, lightly just because, uh, you know, they're, they're scuffling as they, as they enter the tournament it's, this team is really talented, uh, especially on the perimeter. They got, they got three guys who can shoot the three. Of course, most people know of Trey Holder, and they might not know of anybody else on Arizona State's roster besides that, you know, outstanding All Pac-12 guard. But uh, they got a couple other kids: Shannon Evans, a six-one guard, and Cody Justice, who's like a six-five wing, and they can both shoot the three as well. So that kind of poses a challenge for Syracuse in that two-three zone. Evans uh, transferred from Buffalo with Bobby Hurley, essentially, uh, to go out there and play. And I don't think it's a big leap to presume that the staff at Buffalo now that's done the scouting report on Syracuse from early in the year is going to compare notes with uh, Arizona State's staff led by Bobby Hurley who's in his third year there and Bobby Hurley can hand off the Arizona scouting report to uh, Buffalo because uh, the Bulls play uh, DeAndre Ayton and uh, Arizona. Who can Syracuse call that can help them out with a scouting (laughs) They'll be making that call too to Mike Hopkins you know that and that was a loss. (laughs) You know I don't know how apt the comparison is, but it was a, a loss. I think it's worth looking at that uh, they shot 44% from the field in that game, I think made six three-pointers, something like that. A dozen games this year where Arizona State made at least uh, double-digit threes. And and just in the final seconds we have here, Mike, to me the biggest threat posed by Arizona State is they are capable, if they click, to shoot the lights out. They've got, you know, one of the first things I always look for is you know, how many 40% shooters they have? Well, really none, but they've got four 37% shooters, including mm-hmm. a guy who was among, in Evans, the Pac-12 leaders in threes. That's, that's one of the first things I look at as well. And, you know, Arizona State likes uh, an up-tempo game. 
They like to score, average like 83 points a game or something like that. That's a lot of points per game. Uh, Syracuse obviously cannot play at that pace. Uh, Syracuse hasn't won a game all year in regulation where the other team scored more than 74 points. So Syracuse has to control this game, control that tempo, keep Arizona State uh, at a at a much slower place than, than the Sun Devils are used to or where they like to play at. But here's the thing, too. Arizona State is not a great rebounding team. Right. And Syracuse this season, um, you know, by and large, has been a pretty good rebounding team. If Syracuse can control the boards, they can limit Arizona State to one shot per possession, and they can also, on the offensive boards, you know, get a few of those stickbacks and putbacks and, and things that can sometimes help that stagnant offense, uh, you know, avoid a long stretch where you don't score. So, you know, is on those plays where Marek Dolajai or O'Shea Brissett can tip one back in. All right, Michael, great stuff. Thank you. Safe travels. You too, Matt. Let's you I'll off see easy. You in okay, sounds good. Mike Waters. We'll see you from Dayton, everybody. Game time nine ten on Wednesday night. You can hear it on TK ninety nine for uh, Daniel. Daniel coming up? No, he still doesn't do the show at three o'clock anymore. Something else is coming up. There'll be more radio after this on ESPN Radio Syracuse.